When I've uh, been going through my discipleship classes that I've taught throughout the years, uh, we usually get to a section probably in week three or four to where we come across some of the miracles of Jesus, specifically where Jesus starts healing people and he starts casting out demons and the disciples start casting out demons to where the question of the people ask, does that same power now rest within us today as we follow Christ or, or not? Are those things still happening today? Are people still being healed or are these miraculous things still happening in this world? And so we begin talking about it. And without going into a huge uh, explanation of specifically that, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of some differing views of, uh, of that, okay? There is a word called cessationism, or those people who would be considered cessationists. They believe that the signs and wonders that were performed by the disciples and given to the apostles at Pentecost, those powers and abilities have ceased at that point and no longer continue today. And kind of chalk up anything that they would say is maybe extra biblical or things that are not in the Bible or things that seem to be added to the Bible. We can't be trusting those things today. And so they dismiss those particular signs and wonders. On the other end, we have people who are very strong Pentecostals and those in a charismatic movements who fully express the power of the Holy Spirit that is working in them to perform these miracles and to continue doing these signs and wonders in this world today. And then you have the Evangelical Covenant Church, which of course we always land somewhere in the middle. All right? Our church and our denomination does not teach any one doctrinal position on this, although we do affirm the ability for people to have such spiritual gifts as speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and things like that. But we also don't go to the full extreme to where we're telling people to go around casting out demons around every corner, although some of our churches and our denomination practice those things on a regular basis. Maybe some of those things are very foreign to you, or you're having more questions based on what I'm saying already, and that's okay, because we're going to go into more of the details of this in the coming Sundays as well. But first, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. Jesus is encountering a man who has leprosy, starting in verse 12. While Jesus is in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to him, or to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now some things to point out about this passage right off the bat is that when we think about leprosy, most of us tend to think of 
the very, very extreme cases where this bacteria gets onto you and it starts eating away at your extremities, your fingers, your toes, your, your hands, your legs, your arms, and it starts to eventually kill you. Um, but leprosy in the time of Jesus could have meant any disease that could have been contagious that was on your skin. Something that made you unclean, whether it was something in your flesh, like an open sore or something like that, that could be passed along or considered contagious. That was also leprosy. So in those days, it could have been that extreme, and it could have also been any kind of other contagious disease of the skin as well. In fact, Leviticus 13 has huge explanation of what it is to understand what leprosy or what a contagious or a a ceremonially unclean skin condition would cause you. And we're just going to read a small snippet of it in Leviticus 13, starting in verse 9. We're going to go to 17. When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine them. And if there's a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and if there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic skin disease, and the priest shall pronounce them unclean. He is not to isolate them, because they are already unclean. And if the disease breaks out all over the skin, so as far as the priest can see, and it covers all the skin of the affected person from head to foot, the priest is to examine them, and if the disease has covered their whole body, he shall pronounce them clean." Since it is all turned white, they are clean. But whenever the raw flesh appears on them, they will be unclean. When the priest sees the raw flesh, he shall pronounce them unclean. And the raw flesh is unclean, they have a defiling disease. If the raw flesh changes and turns white, they must go to the priest. The priest is to examine them. And if the sores have turned white, the priest shall pronounce the affected person clean. Then they will be clean. And it is such packed full of more information in Leviticus If you want to go back and read it after the sermon today, it is packed full of goodness. It is. It's God's word. And it can be a little rough at times when you hear of all the details, but it was important. But we don't know all the types of diseases or skin ailments that were affecting the people, but we know that overall it was considered leprosy and caution was always practiced first. So for the person who had leprosy and they approached Jesus, he probably would to have announced that he was even present in the community yelling out, unclean, unclean, Uh, except he'd do it in Hebrew probably because um, that was the language that they spoke. But he was probably going around letting everybody know not to come near him, to socially distance. In fact, there, there was additional laws that were placed on the people to make sure that they didn't come in contact with someone who was unclean. So they had to stay as far away as not even letting the person's shadow touch them. Just to make sure that they had enough distance away. For the person that was suffering with dis- disease, it was probably very trying for them. They had to socially distance themselves from others. They couldn't participate in the fellowship of the community, specifically temple worship. They had missed out on festivals and parties. And again, the most important thing, which was worshiping in the temple. They had to be quarantined. In fact, they had to hang out with other people who were experiencing the same things that they were experiencing. They kind of hung out together 
So they weren't completely isolated, but they were isolated from so many of their friends and family. I remember when I got COVID-19, probably the first time, I don't know if I've probably got it three or four times since then, I don't know. But in December of 2020, uh, I was about to go overseas, and I came down with COVID and lost my sense of smell and taste like immediately. It took like four or five months to finally come back a little bit. I still suffer from not being able to like peanut butter anymore and uh, dark soda, but hey, that's not too bad. So uh, I got COVID, and so as soon as you get COVID and you're on active duty in the army, what do you got to do? You got to go to COVID camp, and they send you off to this desolate wasteland, and this is as close as a picture as I can show you of what it kind of looked like, but there was about eight or nine tents like this, and it was just our group who got in COVID around the same time. They put a big yellow caution tape around us, and they're like, unclean, unclean, you guys stay over here. And we had to wear bells and, no, I'm just kidding, we didn't, we didn't do that. So we're here and they, we could walk around inside our little containment area, like 50 feet, you know, just keep walking around. That was our exercise. But then they gave us an hour of yard time in the morning and an hour of yard time in the evening, right? We got to go and walk around a bigger track, but it was just our group. Anybody, um, I guess nobody here has been to prison. All right, yard time, they let you go out and exercise Uh, Okay, this is going pretty bad. For the people who had this disease and for you who have suffered with COVID and had to socially distance, you know what it's like to be isolated. You know what it's like to miss out on Christmases, on birthdays, on New Year's Eve parties, other celebrations, weddings, and funerals. We've missed out on so much. Some of you have suffered a lot more than others. You know what it's like to suffer and to be isolated for a few days, for a couple of weeks. This man who had been suffering with this leprosy had been dealing with this for years and years. He knew firsthand how difficult this was and it was trying for him. And when you're desperate, you take desperate measures whether it's sucking up your pride, choosing to do something demeaning to humiliate yourself or to cause you hardship in order to get healing or to get something of relief, you'd do anything. The man who was with leprosy was desperate, and what did he do? He fell to the ground with his face, and he cried out, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. For the onlookers, they would have seen this plea as an embarrassment to the man. Who, who's this guy that's, that's acting this way? Have some self-respect. Have some pride, man. Nobody does that. Why are you, why are you acting this way? Get up. Jesus' reputation preceded him. This man knew that this man, Jesus, had healed people in the past, and maybe he would heal him in this encounter. And so he made one last plea. If you are willing, if you are willing, indicates that this man knew that there was power in Jesus. But he also put himself under the authority of Jesus. He didn't demand healing, and the way he asked it indicated that he knew Jesus had the power to heal, but he just simply asked, if you are willing, humbly, 
Would you do this? You can make me clean. And in verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now the same law that was given about people who had an infectious skin disease where they had to present themselves to the priest to be deemed clean or unclean, the same was true for people who were in contact with those who were unclean or clean. Hey, you're a COVID close contact. You've got to quarantine for five days, even if you don't test positive. Hey, you came in contact with this person with leprosy. Even though you don't have leprosy, you're going to be unclean for a certain amount of days. Hey, you looked at this person the wrong way. You're unclean. I don't know, right? But there was these rules, and Jesus, and if you want to, oh, and before I talk about what Jesus did, You can go back and read Leviticus 5 and 7, 5 through 7, and there's even more explanations of the things that you can't touch or the things you can't be around or if something touches your, like, unclean animal or lizard, you know, falls into a pot, you got to break the pot, all this kind of stuff. It's a great read, Leviticus 5 and 7. Go ahead and knock yourself out. But Jesus goes and he reaches out his hand and he touches the person. He touches the man. This interaction would have dumbfounded the people. Rabbi, teacher, are you seriously jeopardizing your own cleanliness, your ability to go and worship in the temple by simply placing your hand now onto this person who's going to make you unclean? That you, a rabbi, would stoop down and touch this beggar, this this person who obviously must have some sin in their life because if they didn't, God would have already healed them. So Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches out, and he doesn't only touch him. He says, I am willing. This physical contact goes a long way. If you haven't had any human physical contact for some time, and someone just puts their arm around you, touches your shoulder, gives you a handshake, gives you a hug, the human touch goes a long way. But that wasn't the miracle. The miracle is that Jesus just simply used two words and the man was healed. He said, be clean. Be clean. Not in a little bit. Not after you go and you wash yourself in water. Not after you go and you do this five-fold, five somersaults or whatever else. You know, like, You're healed now, instantaneously. It was emphatic. In the Greek, it is in an imperative language to be clean. There's an exclamation point. This happened. And immediately, the disease left him. Immediately, the leprosy left him. This person was not only set free from their infirmity, they were now set free to go and be a part of society again to be set free to go and re-engage the family and friends, to re-engage and go to the temple and worship. This healing indicates that the power of God has power over anything that is unclean, has power over every dominion in this world, and Jesus just simply spoke it into existence, and it happened. What a joyous experience for this man to be set free from and now to be set free to do something. All this was happening through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus does something that seems 
very confusing to us within our social, cultural uh, context today. In verse 14, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You see, even though this person had been restored, Jesus said to him, for the sake of the law, for that was commanded, you still need to go and present to the priests and offer your sacrifices as a testimony to them. Not to you, not to me, but to them. Before opening uh, Christmas presents at our house on Christmas, because that's when you open up Christmas presents, not on Christmas Eve, for all of you Christmas Eve people out there, it's Christmas morning, okay. We tell our kids, especially when family is in town, be thankful for everything that you open. Have something nice to say about every gift, even if you don't like it. Say something nice. Find something that you like about the gift and tell the person to be thankful. Now, it was probably about 10 years ago by now, but Jimmy Kimmel used to have this, he has this late night talk show, and he used to ask his uh, audience, hey, I want you guys to do this challenge. And he said, I want you to give your kids a terrible gift like two or three weeks before Christmas. Have them open it and watch their reaction. Videotape the reaction. Send us the footage and we'll, po- you know, we'll play it uh, here. And so it was, it was incredibly hilarious, right? But they, this one eight-year-old boy gets a My Little Pony doll and he's like, well, this, this is a girl's toy, you know? And this one girl opened up a sack and it was just a plain potato in it. And then another boy got just like an iron. And then this other six-year-old girl got a half-eaten sandwich. And it was like the worst gifts ever. And you could tell that most of the kids were trying to be grateful for what they got, but it was so hard for them. And the reactions were priceless and some inappropriate. So don't go and YouTube it. What does that have to do with anything of what I just said? Anybody wondering? I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out where I was going with that too. How do you show your thankfulness to God for what he has just done in your life. Go and make a sacrifice to God. Everything that you have, everything that you are belongs to God. So give back to God what is already his. His health, your health is because of God. So go and make a sacrifice to God. Show him that you are thankful. That was the reason. Go and show the priest, let them declare you socially clean now, and then go and make a sacrifice to God to show him that you are grateful. Everything that we have comes from God. Our full dependence of everything who we are belongs to God. And so we acknowledge God for those gifts that he has given to us. Did this man deserve to be healed? I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Do any of us deserve that kind of miracle in our lives? No, probably not. 
But this is what's so amazing about God's grace, and this is what Nathan indicated to us in his testimony, that God gives us exactly what we don't deserve, which is grace, and he withholds what we do deserve, which is mercy. You see, when Christ saved us, he gave us what we don't deserve, which is life, and he saved us from what we all did deserve, which is hell. And that was his mercy. All this God did for us. So I agree with Nathan. We should be jumping up and down sometimes and celebrating and experiencing the gifts that God has given to us. We should be excited. It's hard not to keep joy inside. It's hard to keep joy inside when you have experienced an amazing gift. Do you think that that person who was healed didn't immediately go and start telling everybody about what had just happened? Do you think all the onlookers that were watching this miracle unfold in front of all of them, don't you think that they probably went back and started telling people of everything that they saw? Of course they did. And we know that they did because we read in verse 15, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So now the question that I posed at the very beginning, which maybe some of you are asking today, does God still come through with those kind of miraculous healings today? And can his people perform them? Well, I want you to come back in a couple of Sundays and three Sundays from now as well, as I'm going to kind of give you some answers on that. But I wanted to have that question staying with you in your mind as we walk through the next sermon series, which we're going to start looking at more of miracles of Jesus. Next week, you're going to hear Pastor Abby preach about an encounter that Jesus had with a man who was sick, and he asked the person, Do you want to be made well? And what does that mean for us as we live into that proclamation of claiming that wellness in our own life? So I want you to come back next Sunday to hear that and then continue to come over the next few Sundays as we continue to look at the miracles of Jesus because God's power and how his power comes out in this world today may look the same. Spoiler alert. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that you give us what we don't deserve, which is your grace. Thank you for withholding what we do deserve. And that's, God, your mercy to us. God, we do acknowledge and are thankful that you love us, that you don't leave us where we are, but that you take us to where we need to be. And God, as we begin to enter into this time of communion, to come to this table, to experience you in a very new and very real and very physical way, we come to this table not because we're worthy, but because you're worthy. That God, you love us so much that you even dipped the bread into the same bowl as the person who would betray you, because your love is so big. So God, continue to prepare our hearts and continue to speak into us as we enter into this time of communion, as we praise you and experience your visible and physical sign of grace in our lives. Amen.